morning, Bel Air. Hey, I know that uh, the rhythm of our Sunday mornings, uh, we record our sermon portion. And uh, for those of you who listen online after this fact, you didn't just hear from Matt Jones and some of our students. But let me just say for those who are here right now, Matt Jones is one of our volunteers. He is not on staff. And he reminds all of us that we collectively get to use the gifts that God gives us to serve collectively. It's not about staff and everyone else. It's about all of us coming together as one family, one body, using our strengths and our weaknesses to serve him and follow him. What a great opportunity. What a great model for us. So, Matt, thank you so much. And thank you, students, for leading us on this morning. Hey, in a moment, I'm going to dive into Scripture. We're going to go to, in a moment, Proverbs 3, 5. But before I do that, I want to give you a quick little update. I mentioned it earlier in the service, but for those of uh, you who are listening online or just came in this past week, we had 310 kids on this campus, Monday through Friday, at Vacation Bible School, 75 volunteers in addition to our staff. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal week watching lives transformed in the name of Jesus Christ. And so we get to on this Sunday, see this backdrop, and it reminds us that we as a church, we want to invest in the next generation, that every single one of us is not part of a different church, but we are the church today, we are the church now, we are an intergenerational church, young, old, there was a young lady who just turned 79 who has been serving as a volunteer for the last 12 years, and what a great reminder, Uh, she partners with many of the high school students and middle school students to serve the next generation. So we get to be that kind of church. And if you haven't volunteered in any area yet, consider that. Pray about that. Ask God, God, how can you spend me in this season on behalf of what you're doing in and through this church? And if you're visiting from out of town or you're joining us uh, online, you're not part of this church, I want to say welcome. So glad that you're here on this Sunday. And if you're not part of a church, consider Bel Air. But if you live somewhere else, I've met people this morning already from Atlanta, Georgia, in South Carolina, if you're not part of a church back home, get connected. Because we found that life happens in community. Not just any community, but a community that is centered and built upon the person of Jesus Christ. That's where we experience hope and peace and joy and purpose. And we're a church we simply describe as a church that follows Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone. It's a way of life, and we need God's help in that. And so this summer, we're diving into the book of Proverbs. We're taking a look at God's wisdom to us, not only through Solomon, but also on the silver screen. Let me have you turn there, uh, and I'm going to give you an update in a moment. Why don't we go to Proverbs 3.5, and as we get to Proverbs 3.5, just as a reminder, we're in our third week of our sermon series on this. As we get there, for those of you that have a pew Bible, it's that red book right in front of you. It's on page 510. If you're joining us online, we're in the New Revised Standard Version. And in a moment, I'm just going to read Proverbs 3, verse 5. But before I do that, let me give a quick little financial update. If you were here with us and if you're part of this church family, you heard me say back in December, all right, go back in time with me, to the end of the calendar year, that we were approaching a halftime because our fiscal year runs from July 1st all the way to the last day in June. What is that, June 30th? I always forget. June 30th? June 30th. I got it right. I got it right. July 1st to June 30th. And so I said that we were slightly behind in our giving and a little ahead uh, in our spending. So we needed to make some halftime adjustments. I use the metaphor of a coach with the team saying we've got to make some halftime adjustments so that at the end of the year, at the end of the game, we'll come out ahead that we won't be behind. 
And if you remember, if you were here when I said that, I said it's not the staff, it's not the members, but it's all of us that call Bellard Church our home. It's all of us that are part of that team. So if you've been in the stands, come on to the field. If you feel like you've been on the bench, it's your time to play. And so we as a staff, and I'm so proud of the staff, the halftime adjustments that we've been able to make to get wiser in our spending, to be more shrewd and more creative in how we steward the resources that we collectively have entrusted, that was part of the halftime adjustments. But part of it has been this church family giving. And if you recall, at the beginning of June, I shared, I said, in the month of June, we need to receive $800,000 just in the month of June for us to end our fiscal year even for us to set up this new fiscal year in a healthy financial way. That's a lot of money. And the great thing is that we collectively as a church responded. Some of you might have gotten an email 10 days before our fiscal year ended from me saying we've got $400,000 left. That's a massive amount of money. And for a church this size, it's amazing what God is doing through the resources of the church on the campus and the city and around the world. And so what do we do? We hear that news. I mean, 400,000 with 10 days left. It's kind of like there's 10 minutes left in the game and you're 400,000 points behind. What do you do? (laughs) There's only one thing you can do. You pray, right? You pray and you show up. You pray and you play, all right? You don't just play without praying, relying on God. You don't just pray without showing up and actually rolling up your sleeves and getting involved. And so what happened? In the last 10 days of the fiscal year, 620 people gave above and beyond I don't see the amounts of what people send in connected to the names, but I do know that there was checks that came in for $10, saying this is how I'm giving above and beyond. Stock transfers of $60,000, people saying I'm giving above and beyond. And every single person, every single heart that was engaged in that last 10 days of the year was people stepping out in faith and saying, I want to be a part of God, what you're doing in this church. It's not about the amount, it's about the heart that has come to give. And so I can say that God did a miracle, that out of those 620 people that we gave, $425,000 in the last 10 days. So that means at the end of this fiscal year, we're not behind, we're ahead. So praise God. And so you might say, what does that mean? That's a lot of money. Things like that enable us to put on VBS, to send students to Brazil, to be able to do the work that we do with partners in this city and around the globe. The things that happen 24-7 through the ministry of this church all over the world. It's phenomenal. So as we start this new fiscal year, we're excited. We're tremendously excited to see what God is not only doing, but is going to do. And as we faithfully follow Jesus, we need wisdom. We need wisdom. Wisdom simply is the ability to make the right decision. To make the right decision. Every single one of us makes decisions on a daily basis. Every single one of us wants to make the right decision. And I think that the question that I get more than anything else as a pastor is this, Drew, what should I do? What should I do? And in so many of these scenarios that you experience, that I experience, it seems to be that it's kind of like there's no clear answer. I mean, there's like the obvious choices. Those are easier to make. But what about the choices where it seems kind of fuzzy? Should I take that job or not? Should I get hospice involved or not? 
Should I seek to take my company public? Should I resign from my position? What school should I send my kids to? What school should I go to? How do I navigate the choices that I have to make? I mean, every single one of us, we need wisdom. And so this summer, we're exploring the wisdom that God gives us. It's a wisdom that it transcends all cultures, it transcends all time, that no matter where you live, no matter what year you were born in, that this is a wisdom that is not only applicable, but it supersedes any wisdom or knowledge that anybody else can give around you. So let's dive in. Proverbs 3, 5, and this gives us another little angle on this wisdom that God can give us. Let me read. Trust the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own insight. This, my friends, concludes the reading of God's word. Short and sweet, a lot there though. Keep those Bibles open. I'm gonna go ahead and back, so keep those open. But let's start with the word trust. All right, the word trust is very different than the word believe. You see, believe is an internal thing. Of course, in Scripture, it talks about believing in God, and we can believe in God. We can believe in God's attributes. We can believe that God is good, that God is faithful, that God is loving. We can believe those things on the inside, but it's something entirely different to take that belief on the inside and to externalize it into action and to trust. If you were here with us last, I think it was like Easter time a year ago, a little over a year ago, I shared this illustration where the great Blondini, who was this guy who lived many decades ago, who was this phenomenal tightrope walker. I mean, he literally was able to walk across tightropes really high up. And one day, actually for a season, he was walking across this tightrope above Niagara Falls. And every day he would do this, more and more crowds would come. The newspapers were catching on. He had to like up the ante. He would juggle. He would get blindfolded. He'd go forwards. He'd go backwards. He like, like cooked food on this thing. I mean, crazy, like this guy's creativity. One day he gets out with a wheelbarrow. Remember this from last year? Maybe some of you know this. And he literally, he walks across the whole thing. Think about the weight of that. It's swinging. If you've ever tried slacklining, you're seeing it. I mean, it's crazy. He goes backwards. goes across the whole thing. Gets to the other side. People are going nuts. They're going crazy. Tens of thousands of people report are out there. And he says this. Now, how many of you believe that I can put somebody in that wheelbarrow, go all the way across and bring them all the way back? How many of you believe? And everyone's like, yeah, we believe. You can do that. He says, all right, who's the first one? to get in the wheelbarrow. Silence. You see, belief is safe. It's on the inside. There's no risk in believing. Oh, I believe. God, you're good. I believe. Yeah, I believe. Do you believe me enough to trust me with your life? Do you believe me enough to trust your entire life into my hands? You see, trust is very difficult. Trust is very risky. Trust is something that takes a lot of faith. And the writer here is saying that if you want wisdom, it's got to begin with this. You've got to put your life in the Lord's hands, not in your own hands. You've got to trust. That means not just believe. You've got to entrust your God this God who loves you, who creates you, who has all the resources of all of humanity and, and all the cosmos at God's disposal, you have to put your life in God's hands, not in your own. Now, this absolutely is contradictory to all the wisdom of the world. 
the wisdom of the world. Look out and read the books. Listen to the podcasts. Listen to the seminars. Go to the workshops. The wisdom of the world is this. You've got to get the right techniques. You've got to get the right principles. You've got to get the right formula. And if you have those things, you'll have wisdom. You'll be able to make the right decision in all the decisions of your life. If you just read this book, if you just listen to these 10 tapes, if you just go to this one-day getaway, one-week getaway, one-month getaway, if you just do these things, you can actually bend the realities of the world to meet your needs. C.S. Lewis, many years ago, said, wisdom is this. It's not bending the world to meet your needs. It's not changing the forces of those around you so that you would be successful, but rather it is you bending yourself to be in alignment with the realities of this world. There's a huge difference in that because the reality is that every single day, yes, we make choices. Yes, we are faced with decisions, but we do encounter those moments in life where the world throws at us these things that are absolutely out of our control. And how are we going to have wisdom? How are we going to do this? Well, first it says that we have to entrust our life into God's hands because there is no skill, no resource, no book, no set of principles, no five steps that are going to get you through some of the things in life so that you can come out on the other side with this deep sense of wisdom. In fact, it goes on. It says this. Take a look at that Bible. Open it back up if you don't have it open. It says this. Verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him. This is God. And he will make straight your paths. Almost 800 times in Scripture... It describes the life of following God, the life of wisdom, the life of truth, the life of justice, the life of righteousness, the life of love. It describes it as a path, as a journey, as a road. Now, the world says there's a technique, there's a door, there's a thing. You can have it today. You can have it tonight. You can have it by the end of this weekend. Oh, the writer of Solomon, through which God communicates his wisdom to us, says, no, 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 no. This is a journey. This can't be had or got overnight. But every single day, if you wake up and you entrust your life into God's hands, and you wake up day after day, if you find yourself in new situations, making new decisions, no matter how complicated or how simple it is, if in the midst of that you begin with this sense of, God, I entrust to you, not only my now, but my future, then it becomes not just this, God, I want to use you so that I can find the right way. It's, no, no, I, God, I, I just want to be with you on the way every single day. And that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of practice. And that's one of the reasons why we as a church want to put into practice this way of life. The more time that we spend in Scripture, the more time we spend in prayer, the more time we spend in community, what that does is it enables us to wake up every day and to put our trust in the God that we serve. And the writer here says that actually, if you trust God, not your own skills, not your own instincts, not what works for you in the past, but to really trust God. So, for example, to trust when God says, you've got to love your enemies, you've got to pray for them, you've got to forgive them. And maybe for you in your past, it's actually worked for you not to love them, but to get them back. Maybe that's how you've gotten ahead in business. Maybe that's how you've gotten ahead in life. Maybe that's, that's how you feel good about yourself because you can always one-up everybody around you. Maybe that's actually worked for you. 
Well, if you want true wisdom in your life, you're actually going to have to trust God, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it doesn't seem rational, even if it doesn't seem reasonable. And there's actually two things that will come up in everybody's life that will actually show you, that will actually be like a mirror up to your own life, that will actually reveal to you if wisdom is growing in your life or if folly is growing in your life. Remember I said two weeks ago, if you were here, that the writer of Proverbs, as God writes through them, the community, that there's either wisdom or folly. It's one or the other. It's either life or death. It's either righteousness or wickedness. And the two things that pop up are actually described here. And let's take a look at them. The first is this. Verse 9. Honor the Lord with your substance. Some translations say wealth. And with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Verse 11, my child, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves the one he loves as a father of the son in whom he delights. Now let's unpack this real quick. In verse 9, it says one of the things that's going to happen in your life is you're going to achieve things. There's going to be substance to your life. You're going to create things. You're actually going to have success in your life. And it's going to look different for every single person, but you're actually going to have moments in your life where you feel like, ah, I did it. And it could be the littlest thing. You're growing tomatoes, and they actually taste good. You just took the company public. You just got that promotion. You're in a healthy relationship. You got the part. You got your first job. You got your first A. You got your first C, and you're like, yes. There's success. There's achievement in life. And here's the amazing thing. And this so goes against the world's wisdom. And we'll see this over the next few weeks, and just to say briefly here, that you will see in moments of success whether there's wisdom in your life or if there's folly. You see, the world says that if you are successful, if you achieve, then you must be wise. There seems to be this thing in the world right now that if you've made it, then you're a wise person. But there are people that have made it that are the least wise people I've ever met. Absolutely. They've made it to the top, but they're still selfish. They're still empty. They're still filled with anger and hate. Yes, they've made, yes, they're successful. Yes, they've achieved. But all that it's done is it's revealed folly in their life. And yet there's some people that I know that, that have achieved, that have success. And there's this deep sense of wisdom. And what does that look like? They honor the Lord in it. They give credit where credit is due. They say, I'm here. I got that job. I got that part. I have this healthy relationship by the grace of God, I mean, I am broken, I make mistakes. You see, the wisest people I know are those that say, you know, I'm a fool sometimes. But somebody says, you know, I'm pretty wise, they're actually a fool. Because they're relying on their own insight, their own strength, their own skills. I hear a great quote from Wally, my brother up here. Many of you know Wally, got baptized, what, two months ago, three months ago, gave his life to Christ this past December. And one of the things I've heard him say that football doesn't build character, it reveals it. Now I'm going to translate that to this. Success. It doesn't build wisdom. It reveals it. 
And there can be a true test, a true mirror in your life. How do you react when you get what you want? How do you react when you get that promotion? How do you react when you get the things that you've been striving for? If you've actually been on a journey of trusting God, relying upon him, then you will react with this absolute humility and thankfulness and graciousness. You realize that all of this is a gift from God so you don't hold on to it. You don't do it at other people's expense, but you actually use it to bless others, to lift others up. You see, every single one of us will experience success in different forms of our life. And if we've been trusting God, it's actually gonna, it's gonna reveal that wisdom. But if we've been trusting ourselves, it's actually just gonna reveal the folly that's been there all along underneath. But it's not just success, it's also suffering. It's not just achievement, it's also adversity. What does the writer say here? Verse 11, my child, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Now the word discipline is not the word punishment. Those are two different words in the Hebrew language, which is the language of the Hebrew scriptures. God doesn't punish those that he loves, but he disciplines those that he loves. The word discipline literally means pain. You allow pain for the sake of the one being disciplined. You see, punishment is always for the punisher because somebody's made a mistake, they've wronged you, and so you want to punish them, or we as a society want to punish criminals to make ourselves feel that justice has been served so that they've got to pay the same amount of their wrong. They've got to make up for their wrongs. We, we punish people actually to make ourselves feel better. Discipline is very different. It's actually hard, but it's for the one being disciplined. And scripture says here, there's those moments in life where you will face trials, where you will face adversity, where pain will come in your life. And actually, if you've been trusting the Lord, not your own understanding, if you've been entrusting your life into his hands, then that adversity, it's actually, adversity on its own doesn't build wisdom, it reveals it. How do you respond when you lose the job? when you lose that loved one? How do you respond when things don't go your way? I've seen some of you who've built everything on your own skills, your own strength, your own good deeds, that when things go wrong in your life, you feel that God is punishing you. That somehow there's like this Christian karma thing, which isn't revealed in scripture, but you distort it and you think that obviously it's something I've done wrong because you build everything on your own skills, your own good deeds. And what it does is it simply reveals folly in your life. But many of you, I, I know that you've been trusting in God and when adversity hits you, when you lose that person, when you lose that account, when you lose that physical ability, there's this deep well of peace that the world can't describe. There's this sense of joy that seems to transcend all circumstances. There's this absolute reliance upon God. Whether it's success or suffering, achievement or adversity, these things are like mirrors in our life that actually reveal if we are developing wisdom in our life. But where does that begin? I mean, how do, how do we begin this journey of trust? Because actually there's gotta be something before we trust God. 
And it's this. Take a look. Let me go back a couple of verses. Verse 3, as we end here. It says this. Do not let loyalty and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Now, the word for loyalty there is the Hebrew word chesed. Let me hear you say chesed. Isn't that fun to say? It's one of my favorite words in Scripture. It is God's loyal love. It is God's covenant love. And so, here in this translation, it's translated as loyalty. But when you hear that word chesed, you see it right here. It says, do not let an unconditional loyalty and commitment and love for you. Don't let that leave you. But then it goes on to the word faithfulness. And the word faithfulness over the years, we've kind of lumped into the word love. And we kind of think of those as two of the same things. Oh yeah, love is faithful, so that's kind of saying the same thing, I guess, or you're just trying to make the point by trying to say the same thing twice in two different words. No, 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 actually the word love and faithfulness, those are actually two very different words. The word faithfulness is a commitment to what is right, a commitment to justice, a commitment and a loyalty to the law. And we see both of those words throughout Scripture, love and faithfulness, love and faithfulness, love and faithfulness, love and faithfulness, absolute unconditional commitment to the person and absolutely unconditional commitment to what is right. And those two things seem to be diametrically opposed to one another sometimes. Because sometimes out of our unconditional love for people, we have to not do what's right. When someone says, how do I look? You don't say what's true because you love them. That was a quiet laughter because it was hit too close to home for some of us, right? And sometimes we want to do what's right. And it seems like in doing what's right, it seems to hurt the person that we love. And it's saying here that before we can trust in God with everything, before we can follow God on the way of our life, before we can have, ever have these situations that reveal if wisdom is happening in our life, this love and this faithfulness have to never leave us. Now, I want to be absolutely clear. This is what I do not want you to take away from this. Because religion, which is all about doing, says that you've got to love people and you've got to be faithful. You've got to be 100% loving and committed to all the people around you. You've got to be absolutely committed to what's right all the time. That's not at all what it's saying right here. It's saying that you should never let, you cannot ever let love and faithfulness leave you. How do we do that? How can love never leave us? How can faithfulness never leave us? How can these two diametrically opposed things actually dwell in our lives? Actually, how can we experience those things? And the answer is Jesus. And so you're like, oh, you went to Jesus. I'm in a church. Why is the answer always Jesus? Because the answer is always Jesus. <laughs> I get emails sometimes and people are like, Drew, you end your sermons, you're like in like Hezekiah. And how do you get to Jesus? Well, that's what scripture does. Take a look, Proverbs 30. Let's go here real quick. You need to know you can't do this on your own. You can't get wisdom on your own. You can't love on your own. You can't be faithful on your own. Proverbs 30, so wise, says this. It's on page 534. 
The writer says, I have not learned wisdom. This is verse 3, chapter 30, Proverbs 30. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the holy ones, plural. Who, question, who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in the hollow of the hand? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is the person's name? And what is the name of the person's child? This writer is saying, I don't have wisdom. I can't do it on my own. I can't generate it on my own. I don't have the insight. I don't have the knowledge. But there is a holy one. There is a wise one. Who is his name and what is his name's What's the name of his son? Hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth, God spoke wisdom, truth through this writer and said that there is one who has a son that embodies wisdom, that embodies that unconditional love, that embodies that commitment to what is right, to justice, to the law. And he's got a name. And his name is Jesus. The gospel writer John summarizes the life of Jesus and says that he was filled with both grace and truth. God's covenant love and his faithfulness. Mercy and justice. You see, Jesus perfectly loves us. And he's perfectly faithful to justice and what is right. And the amazing thing is that actually there is a thing that you can actually do today before you start your long journey of trusting God or if you've been trusting God that you can do today on your journey of trusting God that actually will begin to reveal more and more wisdom in your life and it's to hold on to Jesus Christ who is the true wise one who lived a perfect life on your behalf who died the perfect death so that you never have to so that when God looks at you he says to you that you are loved And you're set free. You're loved in your brokenness. But in Christ, you are righteous. You are perfect. You have no flaws. And if you actually allow that love and that faithfulness to sink down in your heart, then you actually can begin to realize that it is worth and it is actually safe to get into Jesus' wheelbarrow. It's actually safe to risk your life in his hands. It's actually the safest thing you can do to not rely on your own skills or your own strength or your own education. It's the safest thing to do even though it feels so risky to put your life in his hands. You see, you can begin today if you don't know Jesus Christ to begin that relationship with him. It's with empty hands of faith. You say, Jesus, I want to hold on to you tighter than anything else in my life. I'm going to hold on to you tighter than my successes. I'm going to hold on to you tighter than my sufferings. I'm going to hold you tighter than my skills or my degrees. I want to hold on tighter to you than any of the decision I have to make. I want to hold on tighter to you. And you begin that journey then of God's spirit in you, the holy one, the wise one dwelling in you, transforming you more and more to give you more courage to trust him, to put his life into practice. I've seen it in so many of your lives. You're doing it. You sharpen me. You encourage me. You model for me what it means to put my faith and trust in Jesus every day, to trust him every day and in every situation. In this series, we've been taking a look at modern-day poets and how even in this world there's echoes of God's truth all around us. In the first century, the Apostle Paul talked about God's wisdom, and he actually quoted a poet 
who wrote a poem about Zeus. I mean, the Greek mythological God. He, he, he quotes him and says, you know, you've been talking about this Zeus, but I'm here to tell you that that's true actually about the God that we serve. In him we move and breathe and have our being. Well, as we look to the poets of today, we look to film and we see that there's echoes of this truth all around us, that we actually reach the end of ourselves, our own insight, our own skills, our own understanding. We actually have to look for something beyond us that comes from somewhere else to lead us home. Great film that came out in 1996, 20 years ago this year, Apollo 13. Ron Howard directed it, Tom Hanks, main character. You got Bill Pax and Kevin Bacon. I love this film. It's amazing. If you haven't seen it, you got to see it. And there's this amazing moment. I mean, what's so phenomenal about this, based on a true story film, is how much time they spend gaining knowledge on how to fly a shuttle for a lunar landing. And you see in this film that they go into the simulator for hours. They come out, they're exhausted. It's early in the morning. They say, let's do it again. Let's run it again because they want to get things perfect. They want their skills to be perfect, their insight to be perfect. They want their understanding and knowledge. They want everything to be perfect. But there's always those moments in life where things happen out of your control. And in the midst of this film, the whole world has no idea if the crew is alive or not. And while the whole nation is waiting and wondering, after that famous line, Houston, we have a problem, as they go silent in the radio communication, there's a, a moment where the news plays an interview from many years prior of that same captain and what happened in his life when he reached the end of his skills, when he reached the end of his insight, when he reached the end of his knowledge, when something else showed him the way home. Take a look at this. You might have an email in your inbox right now that when you open that up, it's going to change everything. You have no idea what will transpire. But God allows these things in our life so that we can actually see something beyond our skills, beyond what we've been trained for, beyond our education, beyond our successes even beyond our suffering, to see a way, a way that leads us home, a home that is here and now of absolute trust in God, a peace that surpasses all understanding, a sense of purpose and joy. And I love the fact that Jesus, who is described as the light of the world, who is the living word of which the written word is a light unto our path and a light unto our feet. I mean, it's amazing, the imagery there. But Jesus says about himself that he's not one of many ways. Jesus doesn't even say, I will show you the way. He says, I, I am the way. He's that light. He's that path before us. You have no idea the events that will transpire in your life. But my hope and my prayer is that I and that us and we, that we would be able to see Jesus the way, that we can put our eyes on him, our trust in him, to not rely upon our own insight and say, Jesus, I want to follow you every day and everywhere with everyone. Grow in me wisdom far beyond what I can bring to the table. Let's pray. God, as we prepare our hearts to come to the table, there's no preparation other than remembering 
that it's not our good deeds, not our skills. It's not what we could do, but it's what you've done that enables us to be loved. God, we thank you that you demonstrated your love to us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were broken, while we had our backs to you, that Christ, you died for us to bring us home, to bring us in your arms, to give us hope now and hope for the future. Jesus, we thank you for your love, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.